All rise. Court is now in session. A verdict in this case has already been decided, but I'd like to examine this case together. And then I would like you to ask yourself, what if? What if this person really is innocent? What if the jury got it wrong? Could this crime have occurred as the state said it did? I suppose it's possible, but isn't it also possible that this is one of the many wrongful convictions throughout the United States? Prepare yourself to be amazed, disappointed, and perhaps outraged at what you're about to hear. I'm Deborah Fulton, Case Review Manager for Wrongful Convictions News, and I would like to present to you some of the factors used to obtain a guilty verdict, and then you can decide if you would vote to convict or acquit. Have you ever been impacted by someone or something to the point where it changes your life? I have. I had never met or heard of Heyman Lee or Adnan Syed until listening to Serial Podcast, along with millions and millions of other people. But her death and his conviction got me involved with the wrongful conviction community. I actually went back to school to get my degree in preventing injustice. This case is what started it all for me. Honestly, I could discuss this case all day. There is so much to it. And because of that, we've decided to split this episode into two parts, which will air this month and next. That's right. Even if you aren't among the millions like I have been who paid attention to this case, you're going to want to listen up. The judge said that the hearing to determine if Adnan Syed will get a new trial garnered more attention than any other proceeding he'd ever seen in his state. And you'll see why when you listen up. Adnan Syed and Heyman Lee dated for approximately nine months while they attended Woodlawn High School in Baltimore, Maryland. Neither of their parents knew about their relationship. Adnan was Muslim and therefore not allowed to date. Hay was Korean and didn't have these types of restrictions, although her family was still quite strict with her. Eventually, Hay tired of the secrecy of their relationship and broke it off in December of 1998. They remained friends hung around the same people, and each moved on to other love interests. They spoke often and remained friends. January 13th, 1999 began as any other day for Adnan. The day she went missing was just a normal day to me. He knew where he was for almost the whole day. It was his friend Stephanie's birthday, and he offered her boyfriend, Jay, the use of his car so Jay could go to the mall and get her a gift. The gist of the Jay-Adnan friendship was that they were acquaintances that smoked pot together. Since Jay was dating Adnan's good friend, Adnan tolerated him more than others did. Jay accepted his vehicle offer, and Adnan's life changed forever. Adnan had bumped into Hay early in the school day and asked her for a ride to track practice. Basically, the layout of Woodlawn High is that students parked behind the school and track practice was more in the front. Hay giving Adnan a ride wasn't an unusual thing. Actually, it happened pretty frequently. Hay said she would give him a ride. However, later in the day, she told him she had somewhere else she had to be and couldn't do it. Hay's friend Aisha heard Hay tell Adnan she couldn't give him a ride. It was common knowledge that Hay always picked up her cousin at 3.15 p.m., but she made it seem as though she had other plans as well. Adnan went to the library to check his email and then went on to track practice. I was sitting in the library bored to tears and someone walked in that I knew. I asked him 
um, about his breakup with Haiti. She was dating someone else, but that he just wanted her to be happy. Uh, he didn't seem to be uh, disturbed or angry with her. Hay never made it to pick up her cousin or to her job at Lenscrafter that evening or to her planned meetup after work with her current boyfriend, Don. Police took a missing persons report within approximately two hours of her not arriving to pick up her cousin. That seems pretty unusual, especially for an 18-year-old. But police took this very seriously since another Woodlawn High student was found strangled about six months before Hayes' disappearance. School was canceled on January 14th and 15th due to an ice storm that left many without power and left the roads a mess. The evening of Friday the 15th was their friend Krista's 18th birthday party. And when Hay didn't appear for that, her friend started to get a little concerned, but guessed that she was wrapped up with her two-week-old relationship with her new boyfriend. The following Monday was Martin Luther King Jr. Day, another day off from school. This meant that many of Hay's friends didn't realize she was missing, or at least they didn't think very much of it. That Tuesday, after MLK Day, was a Muslim holiday that marks the end of Ramadan. So, Adnan wasn't in school that day either. Once the police began to interview Hay's friends, they started to talk amongst themselves and wondered where in the world was Hay. Did she run off with Don? Did she run off to California, as she mentioned once or twice? They certainly hadn't thought the worst. Instead, just thinking that she's probably in big trouble at home since she ran off. It took a little while before they realized this was more serious and that their friend was really missing. It never hit me that something could be wrong until they found her body. On February 9th, 1999, Hayes' deceased body was found in Lincoln Park in Baltimore, Maryland by a man named Alonzo Sellers. Sellers had stopped on the side of the road to go to the bathroom. He crossed the road and then went pretty far into the woods, finally happening upon her body, which was pretty hidden. He was never truly considered a suspect, although it was determined the burial spot wasn't obvious. So, some speculate that he knew about her body and the site ahead of time. Perhaps he had heard about it from someone, or maybe he saw someone carrying her body. It was also later discovered that Sellers' house was within a five-minute walk of Woodlawn High, where Hay was last seen. Now, he's not considered a suspect, and I'm not suggesting that he should be, but I do think police should have given him a closer look rather than just discounting him and his story. He failed one polygraph, but passed another. Police ruled him out pretty quickly, even though he had a history of exposing himself. And he's the one who found her body. He was very argumentative on the stand at trial, and according to everything that I've seen about the crime scene, it just doesn't seem legit that he happened upon her body. Here is where the case against Adnan begins. The police seemed to immediately focus on Adnan. They ran his driving records and vehicle details before her body was found. They developed tunnel vision and never really looked elsewhere. Three days after Hay's body was found, an anonymous call to the police pointed them to the ex-boyfriend, meaning Adnan. We're not sure who made this phone call, but it was noted that it was an Asian male, approximately 18 to 21 years old. So, I assume the caller must have had some sort of accent. Now, 
I ask that you keep this in mind, since I'm going to tie two thoughts together in a bit. Anyway, police had focused on Adnan even before that call. We all know that when someone goes missing, or is the victim of a homicide, police start with the spouse or partner and work their way out. So sure, they should have investigated Adnan, as her ex. But Zahn was her current boyfriend who had plans to see her the night she went missing. Instead, police began collecting Adnan's cell phone records right away. For a phone that was in the vehicle, he lent to his acquaintance Jay. Adnan had gotten a new phone the day before Hay's disappearance, but since he couldn't bring it into the school, he left it in the glove box. Those phone records supposedly led police to Jay's best friend, Jennifer, since she was called most frequently that day. Jen was a close friend of Jay's, and they spent a lot of time together. During her interview, she informed police that Jay said that Adnan killed Hay. In Jay's police interview, he told investigators that after Adnan killed Hay, Adnan called him at 2.36 to ask him to come pick him up. He also stated that Adnan showed him Hay's body pretzeled up in the trunk of her own car at the store Best Buy, and that he helped to bury her body in Lincoln Park at approximately 7 o'clock that night. Jay then led police to Hay's car, and Adnan was arrested on February 28, 1999, for Hay's murder. There are so, so many things wrong with this conviction, this case, this ridiculous story. I honestly don't understand how this man is still in prison. I feel there were too many lies, a whole lot of misconduct, and not enough evidence. They gotta have the wrong guy. If he did what he did, then who's the person that I saw every day in class? Okay, so I've given you the basic foundation of their backstory. Adnan and Hay dated. She broke up with him and started dating Don. She went missing, was murdered, and her body was recovered in Lincoln Park. Police focused solely on Adnan, and they did some very shady things to get their conviction. It is what it is. If someone believes me or not, you know, I have no control over it. Now, regarding Hay's relationships, portions of Hay's diary are read on the HBO documentary, The Case Against Adnan Syed. She seems like a typical young girl in love, and a little fickle about her relationships. But I don't mean that in a negative way at all. Most teenagers are that way when it comes to high school romances. Adnan and Hay went to the homecoming dance together, but his parents showed up and made him leave. I think she was mortified. I'm sure they both were, and things went downhill from there. They became on again, off again, until they remained broken up by mid to late December. By this time, she was apparently pursuing Don. Hay and Don had their first date on January 1st, 1999 so just under two weeks before she went missing. Within that two weeks, she continually wrote in her diary about how much she loved Don. I mean, here's the thing. Hay was no little girl. She was 18, and dating a 21-year-old isn't abnormal. But she just seemed so over the moon for him after such a short amount of time. I mean, we're talking 13 days. I wonder if he reciprocated those feelings. As a matter of fact, the night before her disappearance, Hay had asked Don to call her school the next morning, pretending to be her relative, to let them know that she would be out sick. Now please keep that in mind, since I'll circle back to it, as well as to one of my earlier points. She wanted to spend the whole day together, but he wouldn't make the call. He encouraged her to go to school instead. They made plans to meet up after she got out of work that evening, 
but of course she didn't show. Here's the thing. He never tried to reach out to her to see where she was. They were dating and he just ignored the fact that she stood him up. Now, the people who believe Adnan did this crime say the same thing about him, that he should have paged her or tried calling. But he wasn't dating her, and she didn't stand him up. They had no plans together. He was able to get updates about her missing status from their mutual friends. Don didn't really have that connection, and instead, he just let it slide. Furthermore, police left a message with Don's father for Don to return their call. He supposedly got home from work at 7 o'clock, but didn't call the investigator back until 1.30 a.m., even though he knew at this point that Hay was missing. I don't even know where to start with this information, other than I find it suspicious that on the day of his girlfriend's disappearance, he didn't return a call to the police for several hours. What was he doing during that critical time frame? And it really was a critical time frame. Don didn't provide any type of alibi to police until almost 10 days after Hay went missing. It's then that he told them that he was working. And about Don's workday, which was his solid alibi, it just so happens that he wasn't working at the LensCrafter store, which was his and Hay's normal location, Owings Mills. Instead, he says that he was called in to cover for a friend at the Hunt Valley store. Police didn't speak to anyone in that Hunt Valley store to verify that information, and instead only spoke with the manager at Owings Mills, who did confirm Don was working that day. The manager that they spoke with was Don's mother's girlfriend. That's right, Don's almost stepmother vouched for his alibi. I don't believe that police knew the manager was nearly related to Don, but either way, their investigation into Don stopped there. No documentation, just a verbal confirmation. Furthermore, since Adnan's conviction, there has been a lot of investigation into Don working at two different locations. It may not be unusual for employees to move between stores, but it was determined that they will always have the same employee number no matter which store they work. This might change if they quit and come back, but they would never have two active numbers. Don, however, had a different ID number on his time card for this one particular day at the Hunt Valley store. Additionally, a lab manager from LensCrafters said that there would have been no reason for Don to have been ever called in that day since no one called out sick, and there was no need for additional help. The investigation into the time card slash ID number discrepancy didn't really take off until well after police were focused on Adnan. And even then, police didn't really seem to think it was anything worth anything at all. I, however, have a different opinion. Adnan had actual alibis, but yet Hay's boyfriend at the time had potentially doctored time card and his stepmother vouching for his whereabouts. Furthermore, when police finally subpoenaed Don's work records, the facts cover noted in bold letters that the manager of the Hunt Valley store where Don supposedly worked the day that Hay went missing, was Don's very own mother. Furthermore, Don's co-worker saw scratches and bandages on Don's hands around the time that Hay went missing. The police, however, would never know this because they didn't interview him in person until well after her disappearance, 
about three weeks later, in fact. Don claims the scratches came from working on a car. Again, though, we'll never know. I'm not saying that Don murdered Kay, but what I am saying is that the police did a terrible job at investigating all potential suspects, including her current boyfriend. They never collected any of his hair, his fingerprints, or his DNA, so they could not exclude him. But they did exclude him. He had a very suspicious alibi, and maybe even a motive. Now this is absolute speculation, but what if he suspected that Hay was going to get back together with Adnan? Adnan actually called her the night before she went missing to give him his new cell phone number while she was speaking to Don. So basically, Hay put Don on hold to talk to Adnan. Maybe they argued about it. We know from Hay's diary entries that she disliked anyone being possessive over her. What if that thing that Hay had to do after school was talk to Don about breaking up? What if Don just snapped after that conversation? Now these are hypothetical questions, but probably questions that police should have asked so many years ago. Now I want to tie those two points together that I mentioned earlier. I told you that Hay, who was Korean, wanted Don to call her school pretending to be her relative. And I also told you that the anonymous call to police was from a young Asian male. Do you see where I'm going with this? Another what if, but what if that anonymous call came from Don himself, pretending to be Asian. Hay obviously thought he could pull it off calling her school, so I think it's possible he could have called the police to focus the suspicion on Adnan. Now I want to move on to Jay. Jay Wilds and his never-ending tales. I think that Jay backed himself into the corner with his very first lie, and he had the choice to either tell police what they wanted to hear or to be prosecuted himself. Jay told his ex-girlfriend that he was caught with marijuana, and in order to get released from that charge, he told police what they wanted to hear. But he implicated himself when he said he buried Hay. Investigators told Jay that if he didn't cooperate and basically give them a don, he would be charged with Hay's murder in Baltimore County, not city, where he would be eligible for the death penalty. Part of me feels a little bad for Jay, he was a black kid living in Baltimore being threatened by the police. The problem is, nothing Jay said matched the evidence. Or his other stories, for that matter. I wish that somehow Jay would get immunity for any perjury charges and just come forward with the truth. Nothing other than Jay connects Adnan to this crime. Nothing. Jay claimed at first that Adnan called him at 2.36 to come pick him up at Best Buy. It's considered to be the, quote, come and get me call. Jay told Jen that when he arrived at Best Buy, Adnan popped open the trunk of Hay's car, and he saw Hay's body pretzeled up in the trunk of her own car. Alternately, he told his friend Chris that it happened at a local pool hall, and he later told an Intercept.com reporter that the trunk pop happened at his grandmother's house. He told HBO filmmakers a different story yet, and he also told them that the idea of Best Buy came from the police. Jay also had many conflicting stories as to where he was throughout the day. In one story, he claims that he was at Jen's house waiting for her to get home, playing video games with her brother. The problem with that 
is first, police never even interviewed her brother, and second, her brother should have been in school at that time, which would have been pretty easy for police to check. Who knows, maybe they did, and that's why Jay changed his story numerous times. In one story, he said that he helped Adnan, who was basically just a pot-smoking buddy, not a ride-or-die best friend. He helped because Adnan alluded to a threat against Stephanie. Remember, Stephanie is a close friend of Adnan's and Jay's girlfriend. In other stories, he either fears for his own safety or that of his family's. None of that seems legit since he went to Krista's birthday party with Adnan and Stephanie two days after he allegedly helped Barry pay. Furthermore, Adnan dropped Jay off at home before he drove Stephanie home. So if Jay was so afraid of Adnan, why would he allow Adnan and Stephanie to be alone in a car together? Or why would he continue to hang with Adnan at all? Perhaps because the story was made up? Another story that Jay tells police is that he and Adnan went over to his friend Christie's house. Or it's actually possible that the police tell Jay that he and Adnan went to Christie's house, since they thought that was what the cell phone record said. Side note on Christy, Christy and Krista are two different people. Anyway, the story goes that Adnan and Jay show up at Christie's and Adnan is incredibly high. Either the police or Hay's brother or one of his friends calls Adnan to ask if he knows the whereabouts of Hay. Stories vary on who the call came from. Police then interviewed Christy and they told her that on January 13th, Adnan and Jay came to her house and they want to know what she can add. Well, since they were at her house exactly one time, she corroborates that story, saying she remembers it clearly. She said it was the day she had a mandatory conference for her internship at University of Maryland at Baltimore School of Social Work until about 4.30. She was watching Judge Judy at around 6 o'clock when Jay and Adnan knocked at the door. Here's the thing. Christy testified at trial under oath about this interaction, but only because the police told her that it happened on the 13th. The conference that she attended most likely occurred at a later date, probably the 22nd, at least according to the school's calendar. Even more shocking about Christy's interview with documentarians is that Wednesday, January 13th, was during the winter session, and Christy had class on Wednesday evenings from 6 to 9.10 p.m. Since the semester is so condensed, she could not have skipped any of her classes or she wouldn't have passed. And she got a B, so she did pretty well. She herself said, it couldn't have happened on the 13th because I wouldn't have been home. Police are the ones who told her these events took place on the 13th, and she had no reason to question it. Another inconsistency in Jay's story is that he sometimes claims that he and Adnan used a shovel and or a pick to dig a hole for Hay's burial. First, I would like to say that it's very dark outside at 7 o'clock in January, and they were way far off the road into the woods. Jay claimed at one point that, yeah, it was dark, but he could see clearly since light was reflecting off the snow. I find this difficult to believe since January 12th and 13th were quite warm about 55 degrees, so I doubt there was much snow. And, according to Wonderground.com, it was a cloudy night on January 13th. Remember, there's an ice storm coming. Jay says that after the burial, Adnan then drove him to a mall to dispose of these tools, 
and he paged Jen to pick him up at that mall. However, Jen, who's been pretty consistent with her stories, says that Jay asked her to pick him up at his house. He then asked her to drive him to that mall to wipe down the tools, but she never actually saw a shovel or a pick. It's also noted that the ground where Hay was found was rocky and would have been difficult to dig, and Hay didn't really seem to be buried at all. It appeared that she was more placed in a natural depression under a downed tree and maybe covered with debris, like a little dirt, some leaves, and rocks. Of course, we have very little information about this site because the state actually requested that the medical examiners that disinterred her body take no written notes. I'll say that again. They asked the medical examiners not to take written notes while disinterring Hayes' body. The reason for this, I assume, is because those notes would have to be turned over to the defense and the state didn't want that. So, the brief one-page report basically just observed that she was partially buried, listed what little trace evidence was collected at the scene, and that they couldn't tell if tools were used. Jay can't keep any of the timeline straight, nor can he keep up with the changing narrative that the police are giving him. He and Jen say they were at her house until 3.40 p.m., but yet the come-and-get-me call from Adnan supposedly came at 2.36. How is that possible? The time 2.36 came from the cell phone records since it was one of the few incoming calls around that time. The burial time of 7 o'clock in Leakin Park also came from cell phone records, since Adnan's cell phone pinged off of the towers located near the park. That has also been disproven. If you know nothing of this case, you may be thinking this is quite a conspiracy theory I've come up with. I realize these are some pretty bold statements saying that the police fed Jay his stories, but you can actually hear some evidence of this in taped interviews. And this wouldn't be the first Baltimore case that this has happened with. Susan Simpson, one of the attorneys from Undisclosed Podcast, brought it to our attention that during police interviews, you can hear prompting from investigators when Jay gets tripped up while telling a version of his story. Jay has long pauses during his interviews, and then we can hear a tap-tap on the table, as if someone is pointing to something. Then, Jay says things like, Oh, okay, or, Oh, sorry. What happened to them? We leave there, um, I believe. Can you bear with me for a minute? Uh, um, okay, we left there. I take him, I took him back to school. During one clip, Jay is trying to describe where he and Adnan are going, and he actually says, we end up at the 70 park and ride off of, um, what is that? Then you hear tap, tap, and then he says Cook's Lane. It's as if someone is pointing to a script or a map. This happens several times throughout his taped interviews. My favorite part of the interviews is when Detective McGillivary gets audibly annoyed with Jay because Jay can't keep his story straight. So in this version, Jay is driving Adnan's car and following Adnan, who is driving Hay's car. Jay explains that as they're driving by the mall, he tells Adnan that they, quote, better get rid of this stuff. The detective sounds so disgusted as he sighs and says, 
You've got two cars. What do you do then? Um, hmm. We drive to Westview. Um, I told him to take me home. And on the way going home, we passed by Westview and he said, I better get rid of this stuff. You've got two cars. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm missing okay. car spots. Um, yes, I'm sorry. We leave. We, we, we still do have two cars. Um, he he uh, motions for me to follow him. I follow him. We're driving around all in the city. I ask him, where the hell are we going? And um, he says, where's a good strip at? I need a strip. So within seconds of the investigators reminding him that they have two cars, he forgets again, and Adnan and Jay are apparently having another conversation, even though they're supposed to be in two cars. Well, in the police file, there's a document called Jay's Chronology that has a list of 24 things that I guess Jay is supposed to keep track of. At the end of page one of this document, it says, number 22, Jay in Honda follows Adnan in Nissan. Then, at the top of the next page, it continues with item number 22 saying, to where Nissan is dumped. It then proceeds to the next item on the list, number 23, back to Westview Mall, where Hayes things and shovels are dumped. Is it possible that Jay skipped over reading the quote, the top spots, on page 2? Instead, skipping to, we better get rid of our stuff? In this instance, it sounds like he read the bottom of the one page, but missed the beginning of the next page, thus forgetting that he and Adnan were in separate cars. Here's the thing. Some of Jay's story keeps changing because investigators misread the cell phone information. At one point, Jay said they were at McDonald's when police called Adnan, but then when police realized that cell tower is actually closer to Christie's house, they magically appear at Christie's when the phone call comes in. Jay also tells police that Adnan called him and told him on the 12th of January of his plan to kill Hay. The problem with this story is that the phone call was actually only 18 seconds long, so that conversation didn't actually take place. But now, police had Jay confessing to knowing about this crime ahead of time and helping to bury the body. Jay's choice was made for him. He had to go along with anything the police told him. Now, statement analysis is a topic that absolutely fascinates me. That's when experts can pick apart what someone says to determine if there's a deception present. They could obviously have a field day with Jay. Bob Ruff discussed the case with Jim Clemente, a former FBI profiler, and Laura Richards, a criminal behavior analyst, and their conversation is so interesting. They discuss Jay's statement and talk about all of his potential deceptions. One of the points they bring up is that when Jay is discussing certain tasks, he drops his pronouns. What do you mean by he dropped pronouns? Well, for example, when he said, when he was talking about burying the body, he said, mm, started burying the body. He didn't say, okay. I started burying the body. He started burying the body. We started burying the body. He said, mm, started burying, or digging a hole. Started digging a hole. So he just said, started digging a hole. He, he made some kind of little... Mm, started digging a hole right so that's and typically an indicator that they're of deception okay that, that, that this is not something that he's buying into they also note how he is very specific about unimportant details 
but can't get things right with the bigger parts. Jay also uses qualifying language quite often, such as, to the best of my recollection, or as far as I can remember and from what I observed. Those are all things that people say to avoid being caught up in a lie. It's also interesting to note that Jay Wilds has been arrested numerous times, more than 20, on some pretty serious charges. He's had drug charges, traffic charges, weapons charges, a serious domestic assault charge. He's barricaded himself in a house. He's had a resisting arrest charge, an assault on a police officer. Somehow, though, he manages to escape prosecution for all of those charges. Even the accessory charge that he had for supposedly helping a Don Barry Hay. No jail time for any of these charges. So I need to wrap this up for today. Please tune in next month when I'll talk about the evidence and the autopsy, as well as Adan's alibi. I'll talk about the misconduct in this case, as well as what's happening in the court since Adan's conviction. Until then, please listen to our other episodes and also check out all of Adan's resources that I've discussed today.